How many are ready to hear the word of God today? We are going to be preaching uh, about, well, it's, it's kind of a fishy story. Actually, it's one, it's one whale of a tale, if I could say it that way. But I promise you this, I, I, it can hook you. It can hook you with what this is. And I have a feeling kind of if we chum our spirit enough. Okay, so no, I just getting a, getting a test of who you are and where we're at today as far as what this is. Uh, actually, here's what I think is going to end up happening today. And by the way, if you have our app and you're looking at our notes, and I, for those in our online community, especially our moderators today, um, I hope you love me, uh, but I'm pretty sure everything that I have ready for you is about to be mixed up. Uh, I have been thinking about today's conversation for a while now, and I think what we're going to end up having is like four, five, six, I don't know, many sermons kind of in this thought, uh, because we're going to preach from the book of Nineveh about the villain named Jonah. Did everyone catch that? The book of Nineveh about a villain named Jonah. And so I'll, I'll talk to you more about it in a second, but I just have some thoughts on it. I just want to throw out to you. But the first thing I want to do is just let you know we are entering in a season here at Navigation Church that a lot of you are going to hear about, that you're going to be approached, and we're going to talk about. But here's what I'd like to, to do first. I have a question. When it comes to churches, by the way, this comes from a group called the Unstuck Group. When it comes to the healthiest church, there's one thing all of these ministries have in common. When it comes to the healthiest and fastest growing church, what do all those churches have in common? When it comes to the healthiest staff at churches... What is one key indicator that you can say, well, the reason the staff is healthy is because of this. When it comes to people having a greater understanding of any single mission for a church, what is one thing in common that you see? And I, by the way, this is across our nation. And when it comes to a body being unified Working together, fellowshipping together, knowing the purpose of why, they, why they're there, what is the one thing that you find common? And again, I get this from the unstuck group. And here's what you find. The fastest growing, the most influential, the healthiest staff, people that are on mission, and a community that understands their purpose, the number one thing they have in, co in common is that they have a large volunteer base doing the work together. And so the reason I share that with you is, if you're here at Navigation Church thinking, if I attend, if I give some money, then whoever's on staff will do the work of the ministry, I'm going to disappoint you right now. The main uh, job of every staff member and lead volunteer that we have here is to help recruit other people to get in, begin to volunteer, and do the work of God. Because I, the only reason I need to say this today is, one, this month and next month is a huge time where we're recruiting people to come be on a team at Navigation Church. But then I'm also reading about today's sermon about this villain named Jonah. And right now, some of you are not okay with me saying that. And I love that I'm already bugging you. This is like... I, I enjoy that part of my uh, preaching time. But when it comes to Jonah, one of the questions that I would have is, if, can you say a, or let me, let me reword that. Let me say it this way. A Christian without a ministry 
Isn't that a contradiction? A Christian, not on purpose, not on mission, not on movement with Jesus Christ, a Christian without a ministry, is that a contradiction? And boy, I just, I, don't you love when I open up sermons with just challenges, just kind of, kind of pushing on you a little bit? And so here's what we have at Navigation Church. And by the way, this is true across the nation right now. Um, when it comes to post-COVID things, post-COVID things says this, about 50% of people that were attending churches no longer attending anymore. And one of the greatest struggles that every ministry has, and by the way, this isn't just for church, this is just non-for-profits across the board, they're having trouble getting momentum back and influence back and power back because the volunteer base that was there doing the work of the ministry pre-COVID hasn't come back either. I have a problem though. Our church is not the normal church. We've never been the normal church in the sense that we see salvations, we see baptisms, we see lives changed every single week. Last week, I had an amazing opportunity to sit after service last, uh, at the end of service last week where a gentleman started telling me the story where Jesus came and revealed his love to him and the love was reciprocated and lives are radically being changed. And so if the norm is people aren't coming back, I don't want to be the norm. That's about the time you should say amen. amen. If the norm is people don't want to serve and help other people change, I don't want to be the norm. Amen. Boy, I'm going to have to. We need drip coffee quickly brought and handed out. If the norm is people aren't getting saved, if the norm is people aren't being discipled, if the norm is people aren't getting baptized, I don't want to be normal whatsoever. Here's what I want to be. I want to see someone radically devoted to God, and I hear from God, and I respond accordingly. Unlike the villain that we're going to talk about today, who's bringing that back up. I'm going to prove it to you. You're not going to like me at the end of this. I'm going to prove it to you. But then here's the other reason why this month and next month, it's kind of a rhythm of when we try to recruit people just to, hey, come be on a team, be on mission with us, help change lives, is as the leadership of the church, we feel like God is already speaking things to us about what next year is going to be about. And dare I say, this year we have the theme of radical generosity. We we're pretty sure God's given us the marching orders for next year. And the word radical will be involved with it again. Now, this would be fun for those online, for everyone who goes on later, and if you're checking in, if you want to give your guess of what next year's theme is going to be, it's radical something, and you can fill in the blank yourself. But in order for us to be positioned for where God is calling us, we need to do things now to respond to his word. And one of those things is simply this. We need help with the ministry because it's not my job and Pastor Aaron's job to run the ministry. Our job is to train and equip you for the purpose of the ministry. And you go, well, I don't know the Bible. That's fine. Do you know how to be friendly? <laughs> not really. Great. We'll make you a parking lot. Like, you don't have to be nice to anybody. You just have to park to an open space. Like, if you're mean, grumpy, angry, nice, sweet, and a blessing, there's something for you to do somewhere. And so I'm just letting you know that officially this announcement is supposed to be at the end of service. But knowing the conversation that we're about to have, I have to ask this. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ and you're not on mission, 
If you're a follower of Jesus Christ and you're not actively looking to promote the gospel to other people, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ and you don't have a ministry, is there a chance that's a contradiction? Or should be ministering in love the natural outflowing of the mercy that we've already received? So with that really great opening that was meant to pump you up, how about we do this? Let's now start just processing through the book of Jonah. I know the title of the book and the interaction that he had with Nineveh. And I'm going to do spoiler for you because let's read the ending first. If you have your Bible or if you want to read along with me, we're going to be in Jonah chapter 4, verse number 1. But to Jonah, this seemed very wrong, and he became angry. What seemed very wrong? A pastor's dream seemed very wrong. God told Jonah that I want to send revival, and all you have to do is go preach the gospel. Jonah goes and preaches the gospel, and an entire nation, an entire city is radically saved. Now, how saved were they? That's a different conversation. But they got to the point where even the king said, hey, it's time for fasting. Cover yourself in ashes, and we're now following this one God. Jonah's now sitting up on a hill, if you can kind of picture this. Jonah's sitting on the hill. All he can hear is the song Amazing Grace going over and over and over and over again. People crying and wailing, following Jesus. And Jonah says this, this is wrong and I am angry. Tell me again why he's not the villain. Okay, we're going back to this. Going back to this. Sorry, sorry. So he prayed to the Lord. He goes, isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? That this, this is what I tried to force forestall I clearly grabbed the wrong version this ain't NIV here it is this is why for telling you that I was fleeing to Tarshish I knew and here by the way this is the hero of the story that you guys love I knew that you were a gracious and compassionate God slow to anger abounding in love and a God who relents from sending calamity by the way if you ever want to go on home and pray for your faith to increase, here's a prayer for you. God, give me the faith of Jonah. Jonah so knew God's power, had such faith in God, that he said, if I go preach this to these people, you, because you're slow to anger, you do not want to hurt people. By the way, this is the Old Testament where God's the big angry God, always just trying to kill people, which, by the way, is completely incorrect. And so, so... Jonah's letting God know that you are this slow, merciful, caring, loving God. And I knew that if I came and told these people about you, that you would actually come to them. And I'm mad at you for that. Is there anyone in here that would like to argue with me right now that Jonah's the hero of this story? Because it's pretty hard with this, you know, compelling argument that I'm giving you that revival has broke out in this city and now Jonah's mad at God. And he says to the Lord, take my life, for it is better for me to die than live. And the Lord replied, do you even have a right to be angry? Like, you're sitting up here. And the problem is, well, okay, I'm jumping ahead. What is Nineveh? Nineveh 
It's the capital of the Assyrian Empire at this point. By the way, Nimrod, for anyone who cares about history, Nimrod established Assyria. Nimrod was a great, 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 or the great-grandson of Noah who established this. It was in the, by the Tigris-Euphrates River, and the, the name Nineveh actually means residence of the new new. It was an Arcadian word that means fish. So instead of calling it Nineveh, we could call it this. They lived in Fishtown would be an accurate description of the name of Nineveh right now. He, it was a town of, uh, um, uh, called Fishtown. It was one of the greatest cities at the time. Currently, if you were to revisit Nineveh, you would have to go to Iraq. And the Assyrian army, the Assyrian empire, was a massive um, antagonist uh, empire that always picked on Israel and Judah. And actually, in 722 BC, the Assyrian army came in and wiped out all of Israel for the rest of the world, for the rest of time. So, the, uh, just to remind you, Israel were the 10 tribes of north, and this Assyrian empire eventually wiped them out totally. And this, these guys were ruthless, and I don't have all these notes in the app and stuff for you to read. But just so you know, like these guys were so ruthless, they would bury people up to their neck just for them to die a slow death. They were known to peel the skin off living people and then show it to them before they murdered them. When they would come into a nation to conquer them, they would behead people and stack the heads at the entrance of the gate of, in a pyramid shape so that they would constantly strike fear in other nations that would see this. This was an absolutely barbaric, horrible nation that was constantly attacking and bothering the Israelite nation. So now God says to our prophet Jonah, listen I want to love on them isn't it amazing how our prejudice will keep us from loving on the people that Jesus wants us to love on how our past pains will keep us from reaching out and speaking the truth to the people that need to hear it the most because if I said to you right now everyone everyone stop look at me look at me I'm going to do a little exercise I've been uh, watching this show called the mentalist has anyone ever seen this? I am just fascinated by it. And so he, he, he does this all the time. Who is one person in your life that you're okay with never talking about again or never talking to again? That person that just popped in your head. That's what he does all the time. I love the show. Who's the person that just popped in your head that I said to you? Who's the one person you're okay with never talking to again? Imagine this afternoon, Jesus comes and taps you on the shoulder and says, that's the person you have to go talk to. Do you immediately go, yes, sir? Or do you find every other reason why you shouldn't? And here's the thing. Some of the times when we find reasons why we shouldn't, we spiritualize it. Christians are great at this. We find Jesus under rocks. We find demons behind every door that don't actually exist. And so Jonah, when he was told to go to the Assyrian Empire, he went down to get on a boat, and God provided a boat for him going to Tarshish in the exact opposite direction. Can I let you know now that when God has called you to do something in your life, there will always be a boat that goes in the other direction. It's not him providing that. There will always be an opportunity for you to run from what God's calling you to. But what happens when he does call you to do, to do something? And by the way, this is something real interesting. This is one of these mini sermons. Uh, so uh, in order for him to go to Nineveh, it was about a 500-mile boat trip. 
For him to go to Tarshish, which by the time, if you look at the maps, it would have been the farthest place on earth that mankind had kind of established themselves. So the way to say it is Jonah was going to the ends of the earth to get away from God's calling. But Tarshish was 2,500 miles in the opposite direction. 2,500 miles versus 500 miles. Isn't it amazing the extents that we go to, the lengths that we go to, to live in our sinful nature versus the shorter distance to live in the God calling? Okay. I need you to join me a little bit more today. Because I feel, I feel like worship was nice and peaceful, communion was nice and easy, but now uh, the anointing of an Old Testament prophet is coming into the house, and the Old Testament prophets were here to challenge you. Where in your life do you go to far extents to cover your sins versus doing the shorter trip of just following Jesus? Where it is in your life do you work harder? You have to remember the last lie that you told, because you, you now have to lie on top of that lie. You have to manipulate on top of that statement. You have to keep changing and altering and fixing. What is it I said last time? And next thing you know, you're 2,500 miles down the road in the wrong direction from where Jesus called you versus just being honest up front. Sin, and I know I've said this before, I'm going to say it again. Sin takes us farther than we want to go, keeps us longer than we want to stay, and costs you more than you want to pay. But yet we say to ourselves, this is how we Christianize it. I don't think this is God calling me to do it. Oh, he's provided a boat for me. No, no, no. The other boat's right there. You're looking for a reason not to get on mission for God. You're looking for a reason not to do what God's called you to. And if God has called you to do something in your own life and you have never stepped up to do it, how are you any different than who Jonah is right now? But then you come to church, by the way, I can feel the, like, I'm going to annoy you, anointing coming on me right now. You come to church every single Sunday hoping to hear a new word from God, but you've never done something with the word he's already given you. Why should an unfaithful God or a faithful God keep giving you, the unfaithful, something new? And here's why it is, because you want the tingly goosebump feelings that you get when God speaks to you. You just don't want the feet and what it takes to walk out the steps that he's told you to, to go to. And so in our life, we have to start wrestling this. Where are the places that we're working harder to be sinners versus getting effort to move towards the direction that God has called us to? And by the way, we all have them. If you think I'm standing up here preaching from an elevated position down to you, I can come stand with you and let's be honest, and in some places preach up to you this message. We all have places in our life where we just hear, we've heard from God, but we didn't move with God. And in some places, went in the opposite direction. Do you think it was easy at the beginning of this year, knowing where we were in our economy, to make the statement that it's going to be a year of radical generosity? And do you know, so far this entire year, we've been running a deficit as a church. And here's the fun little fact for you. By the way, none of these are in the notes. And here's great. My wife and I get on a plane tomorrow, and we're going to be out of town checking out a new ministry that I believe our church should be supporting of. So if you're mad at me, only Pastor Aaron's here for this week. So this is great. I love doing this. So here's the best part about this year of radical generosity. If you look at the amount of money that we've given away, to the deficit that we've been running, it's identical. 
So now we're, uh, what, what month are we in? We're in October, September. So now nine months into this year of radical generosity that God has calling us as a church to do, at what point do we say, hey, church or staff, leaders, listen, we're not going to follow this all the way through because we can't end the year in a deficit. I don't know how your family household works, but like as a church, we're not going to just keep losing money. That's, that's, we're not going to be unfaithful. But the problem is we haven't come up short anywhere. God has been faithful for everything. So if we believe that God's calling us to something next year, do we stop what he called us to this year because we don't trust him? Or do we say, no, God, you've called us to a year of radical generosity and the amount of ministries. I, what, how many testimonies do you think? By the way, for those online, Pastor Aaron's sitting right here, and apparently I need his help for today's sermon. I mean, 20, 30, how many testimonies do you think we've received from other ministries saying, this, can't believe that we got this at this time? And you have some ministries, actually one ministry that we gave to, we found out the amount that we gave them in a one-time check was their yearly budget for a main part of their ministry. And for us, it was a tithe. So should we sit here now and say, God, keep speaking to us? Or should we say this, God, stop talking. We're just trying to do what you did, told us last time. I don't need God to keep talking to me. I've worked my entire life just to try to fulfill what he has called me to. But here's the thing, I don't want to be the villain of my story. But why do we fall into being the villain of the story? Is because we see Jonah actually running to success. Some people fail on purpose because failure is free. Some people, you set yourself up for failure because failure is free. When you have success in your life, usually more success brings more accountability and more responsibility. But you know what failure brings you? It brings you sympathy from everyone around you. Brings you empathy from the loved ones with you. You can actually get a sense of love because people loving on you when you're a failure. Failure is free and failure has rewards. But the problem is God didn't call you to fail. He called you to succeed. He called you to grow. He called you to have impact. And I know, I say, he called you to be the head, not the tail. He called you to be above and not to believe. He called you to be a winner, not a loser. It's all those true, tried things that pastors say all the time. But my question that I would have for someone here today, maybe multiple people watching online and on this communication, is there places in your life where you on purpose sabotage your own success? You set yourself up for failure. And by the way, this was me for many, many years. Because I never believed that God would reward me. This was a, a huge. Don't know how much I spent on counseling to find this out. I would always believe that I would never get the reward that I was due. All growing up in school. I worked and worked and worked. And I studied and I studied and I studied. And I would at best get passing grades. And so why put all the effort in if you're not going to get the reward? Put the effort in and then reward yourself. That's, that was a foolishness that I lived in for years. I try not to live in now. 
But the fact is, we all want some type of reward. We want some type of validation. We want some type of affirmation in our life. And the problem is, you've become addicted to failure because when everybody around you is licking your wounds, somehow that speaks love to you. The problem is, and it's a huge dysfunction. It just is. God hasn't called you to be a failure. He's called you to be successful. But then you like, well, why has everyone always said that Jonah's the hero of this story? Who do you think wrote the book? <laughs> Let's be real honest. Who wrote it? Jonah did. When you write the narrative of your own story, it can say anything that you want. I was sitting with a, or talking to a gentleman the other day in a business meeting, and he's sitting in a business meeting, and someone said, I don't know why everyone keeps saying this. And everyone around the table said to this individual, they said, it's because that's the sales pitch you always throw out there. And the person who said it went, I never say that. And everyone around the table goes, yes, you do. No, I don't. Okay, feel free to keep writing the narrative of your own story. The problem is, it's now fiction. It's a made-up belief system that you have about yourself in order to somehow fill you, energize you, and make you not seem as bad as we all are. But the problem is when we start receiving the truth of the world around us, we can actually start seeing the blindness that we're living in. So now you have Jonah who goes in, gets in a boat, and he heads off in the opposite direction. He goes in the opposite direction, and this is where the grace of God is so amazing. Grace of God in his life, he's on a boat, storms coming up, all these sailors are throwing stuff overboard. By the way, go read this for yourself. It's a really short book, very interesting. Um, and so uh, uh, <laughs> I had another fish pun, and I decided to let it go. I had another fish pun. I mean, I'm going to toss it back. I'm going to toss it back. Yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, when it comes to the scales worth of jokes, okay, so um, that, that joke was this big. So why are you feeding me jokes? You want to just pop on up here with me? I'll, call, I'll cast a wide net to see if we have any more. So um, I'm at my limit. That's fantastic. If you're online right now and you have a fish pun, please. Please stop listening. Just type it in there. I need it. I need it. So, so, um, so Jonah's on this boat. Everyone's throwing overboard. They said to Jonah, they said, um, you know, who are you? And he's like, hey, like, I'm the problem. You know, Yahweh's my God. He's the one doing this. Just because I've completely, like, disobeyed him, I'm going in the opposite direction. And, they, and he said, throw me overboard. And here's a beautiful part of this story, that even in our foolishness, God will still connect with us. And if that isn't the tale of my life, I don't know, tale of my life. Did you see it? Did you see it? Okay, see what I did there? Okay. That wasn't on purpose. I'm up to my gills and jokes. I'm done. I'm done. I swear. I swear. So any other puns that I printed out? Okay. So Jonah now gets thrown into the water. He gets thrown into the water. And this is where some people don't believe the story. A fish comes up and swallows him. Swallows him and he lives in the belly for fish three days. Now, you may not believe that there's fish out there big enough to swallow human. Fine. I don't believe there's a fish with a large enough air pocket for a human to live in for three days. 
Like there's more to this story. You're telling me he sat in the acidic belly of a fish for three days and he still lived. So much about this is hard to believe. The problem is we serve a God of miracles. So we serve a God of miracles, but it's also a picture of a Jesus who went into the belly for three days to come out to bring deliverance. This is an absolutely type and shadow of Jesus Christ that we love and we serve. And so interesting thing happens, though. Jonah, who's again the writer of this story, tells us of a prayer that he said while he was in the belly of the fish. And have you ever been at a place in your life where just something bad happens and you're being crushed, you're being pressed, and you start crying out to God? Has anyone in that place ever looked up a prayer to read? Have you ever called the pastor and said, could you print me out a prayer to read? Or do you do something like this? Oh, God, help me. Oh, God, I need you, right? What's inside of you comes out of you. So Jonah is crying out, God, I need you. God, help me. God, do this. And here's something interesting that comes out. Jonah, in his prayer, references 11 Old Testament uh, uh, passages. So clearly, the word of God was inside of him. But just because he had a spiritual life that was saturating him, did that spiritual life actually affect his everyday behaviors? And if you think exposure to the scripture is a guarantee of a godly life, I'm here to disappoint you once again. Showing up once a week on a Sunday morning, listening in in our online community, you are being exposed to the gospel. But exposure to the gospel doesn't mean you're, you're choosing to have internal change to the gospel. Jonah knew the word. He just didn't let the word do what it was supposed to. Which, by the way, if I was going to do a show of hands, which I know none of us want to do that right now, how many would say this? There's been times in your life that you knew the gospel and you just did the other thing. I love you guys. This is why I love you. It's true. I knew what was... Here's an example. The other day when my wife and I got in a fantastic fight, I knew what I should have said. But I probably said what felt the best. Any married man? You chicken men. Oh, a woman raised her hand. Thank you for that. I appreciate that. Were you raising it for him or for you? You know, we'll talk later. We'll, I'll catch up with you later. Just because you know doesn't mean you do. But here's the beautiful thing. In all of our foolishness, God will allow our foolishness to change us into the ministry that he's calling us to. Why do I possibly say that? Because all of a sudden, three days later, this massive fish pulls up to Fishtown, vomits up Jonah onto the shore. Scholars tell us that he was most likely head to toe bleached white because of the acidity in the stomach of the belly. So now you have a guy who just got thrown up by a fish, walking through Fishtown, were Dagon and other fish gods that they served, he's now walking the street saying, I have a message from God for you. Any chance everybody's going to listen? Because God also knew that the people that he was going to communicate to had a foolishness that God had to overcome. So God let them live in their foolishness, God let Jonah live in his foolishness, and his providential grace met in the middle for Jesus' saving grace to come. 
Why have I gone through what I've gone through? Why do I struggle with what I'm struggling? There's a chance he's bleaching you for what he's calling you to. Oh, I'm mad at him. I can't believe this is going on. That's fine. Bleach away. You don't think there was a time in the belly of the whale when Jonah was done crying, done praying, where he went, how much longer am I going to be here? I can't imagine three days of silence, let alone in the belly of a fish. There had to come to a point where you just had to accept where you are in life, but then when God positioned you in the new place, you walked it out. So now you have Jonah up, traveling, communicating all this area. But then we get to the end. Jonah, seeing all this, said it was very wrong and became very angry. He said, God, didn't I tell you this when I was at home? You wasted 500 miles of my time. You wasted days of my life. I actually tried to tell you that you were gracious and you're compassionate, you're slow to anger, you're bounding in love. A God who relents from sending calamity. So now Jonah, everything that God had called him to was everything that God did. Now Jonah, when wide sweeping revival is happening, Jonah's still angry with God because of personal prejudice he has in his life. Which brings me, if I'm going to summarize the whole sermon today down to one point, it's simply this. Clearly there was a place in his life where he wasn't willing to let God touch. Where in your life do you refuse to allow the gospel to saturate? Where in your belief system do you keep the scripture at an arm's length? Where in your belief system do you know better, but the problem is you don't know better? And you tell God, I love you, I will study you, I will read you, but in this one area, you can't touch me. Because you can spend your life as a prophet seeing revival all around you. But at the end of the day, does the gospel change you? Look at that. I ended the sermon as heavy as I started it. Because it's pretty hard to tell you an uplifting story when the villain is the center stage. And I know you wanted me to change it here at the end, but over the last couple weeks as I've read this book, as I've done all the studying, I've come to the point, you don't have to, but I've come to the point to believe that Jonah's the villain of the story versus the hero. Because after all, the story is about Jonah. The story is about you. And you can look at all around you and you can say, I'm a part of a church that's doing great things. I'm a part of a ministry seeing lives affect. I'm a part of a business who is, who's helping people. I'm a part of a company who doesn't take advantage. I'm a part, I'm a part, I'm a part, I'm a part. But you yourself is still sitting back. And can I just ask you this? Are you angry at God? Are you frustrated that it's looking different? Are you tired of your whale belly experience? 
Because the last thing I would want you to do is the end your story with a false narrative that makes you the villain. So, I'm going to make this real simple. I have a question for you. I'm going to pray for you. And then I'm going to walk off the stage. If God, excuse me, what areas of your life, what areas of your belief system, what areas of your thinking, what areas of your spirituality, what areas of your addiction, what areas of your pain, what areas of your past, do you refuse to allow God to saturate? God, I just thank you for these stories that are recounted for us. Lord, if I was writing my own story with even a thought that someone in the future would read it, I would make myself look as good as possible. But I believe it's one more reason why we can trust the scriptures that have been left for us. Because I don't think Jonah looked good at the end of this story. But the tale has been penned in order for us to be able to reflect on ourselves today. And right now, God, in the presence of you, surrounded by the body of Christ, I take an honest evaluation right now and ask the question, what is the place in my life that I refuse to allow you to touch? What is the place in my life that when it gets altered, I get angry because this was mine and not you? This was a place that I wanted you to do something versus you wanting me to do something. And Holy Spirit, help me today not become the villain of my own story. But whatever stomach, whatever whale, whatever fish, whatever, whatever situation I'm right now, God, do your complete work in my life, in our lives, so that when we're moved to the next position, there is actually a physical demonstration of the internal change that you have brought about. Mind, body, soul, and spirit come into alignment to what God has called you to. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.